I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Today, I have Bridget Finclair on the show. Bridget is an author and spiritual teacher with almost 30 years of experience. She is qualified and she's a qualified and experienced psychotherapist, hypnotherapist, and healer, and was a professional therapist in London's Harley Street. Bridget left England in 2012 for Cape Town, where she now lives with her South African husband. She loves teaching, writing, and speaking. Weaving together the threads of her spiritual and professional journeys, she designed the Bone Circle, a unique, transformative, and life-changing program that ties together three significant areas of expertise, intuition and creating, the sacred and the mystical, and therapy and healing. Her new book is a fictional book called Red Dress, and it's out now. Welcome, Bridget. Thank you so much, Amy. It's lovely to be here. Hi there. I'm going to run through the public service announcements, hopefully quicker than you can fast forward through through this part of the show, which is my guess of what many of you probably do. So if you have not subscribed to my newsletter yet, I have not been super great about sending it out, but I am recommitting to it for the fall. So please go ahead and do that at dramyrobbins.com. You'll get updates on what the upcoming shows are, as well as my uh, bi-weekly soul wisdoms, where I just bring you information that comes to me in meditation. So if you go ahead and subscribe or subscribe to my newsletter. Also, if you are subscribed to my podcast or think you are, you might not be because Apple just updated their podcast app. And so you might no longer be following me. So if you go to the podcast app, you can click on follow. I think it's three dots at the top and just click follow to resubscribe you to my show. Just make sure this way you're getting all the new episodes. Uh, Also, you can find me on YouTube where I am videoing with the guests. So you can see that. Not sure videoing is actually a word, but we just made it one. And lastly, oh, there's two more things. Patreon, you can contribute to the show, which I would be so grateful for. Just go to patreon.com and put in my name. And lastly, Fireside, super exciting platform. It is in the iOS store right now, the app store. You can only get it if you have an iPhone device, but here you can partake live in the conversation. So it's an awesome way to listen to the show and ask questions of my guests if you have them. Most of the shows are on Thursdays, but if you follow me on Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins, I always post when the shows are. So check all of that out. Thank you for your support, and here is today's show. Well, you tie together perfectly all the things that I love and that I love talking about on this show. So, and it really seems like you've sort of done it all. So, can you first by can you first start by telling us a little bit about the red dress, which is fiction, but it it incorporates all these different elements of therapy and healing and sacred practices and spirituality. So tell us a little bit about the book first, and then I want to dive deep into some of these concepts. Awesome. Thank you. So Red Dress is a novel, and uh, there's a little bit of a story about how I came to write a novel, but the fact is that I did. And 
really the purpose for doing that was to be able to share some of that wisdom that I've accumulated over those 30 years, but in an accessible way that was fun, because there's lots of fabulous, fabulous nonfiction books out there, which people have got the motivation to read them, will read them, and they're absolutely brilliant, but not everybody wants to sit and read a nonfiction. So I wanted to make it fun and accessible. In my life, I'm always ridiculously busy. And so it's a, it's a treat for me to read a novel if I'm on vacation or something, to be able to read a novel. And you think this is like such a luxury to read a novel. So I thought, well, how would it be if you could have that luxury of reading a novel that was fun and you know accessible, but be learning stuff if you want to? So that was the kind of um, raison d'etre, if you like, or end result or vision that I had for writing Red Dress. Just wanted to be able to show those pearls of wisdom in a fun way where people could dip into it. And so Red Dress is a novel and it is a story and it can be taken on different levels. It's a fiction, although it is loosely autobiographical because the main character does is a therapist and she works on Holly Street and she lives in West London and I has two children and that, that's all me. And there are certain things within the story that are mine as well. Um, but she's not really me. You know, she's actually a beginner on the journey of the spiritual awakening. So she's going with trepidation. She's she's her own self-critic. And I think a lot of people, when they start on that spiritual journey, are not sure, you know, they're not certain about it. So they're, they're questioning themselves and she does that. So she's taking that leap of faith and that journey for us. And she's funny, you know, she gets it wrong sometimes. And uh, the idea was it for it to be, um, to be um, amusing. So you can look at it as just a story of uh, a stressed out mom, career mum who's got kids who's just and I think a lot of women relate to that if they've got a career to try and juggle you know family life and the husband and the career as well and so she's stressed out time starved um not very happy she's lost herself and you could look at it just as a bit of a tale about this woman who takes a slightly kooky alternative spiritual journey um and has a bit of fun with some 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 lovely friends and you can look at it at that you could look at it as a journey to self because she's really discovering herself and who she is because she's lost who she is within the the the, the um life that she's built which outwardly is very successful it's everything the markers of success that we're all looking for and actually it's hollow when she gets there so there's that aspect of it as well um that that's the be all and end all isn't to have a big car and a big house it's actually all much more about connection and relationship and ourselves and going within and connecting to something greater so well and i think that speaks to so many people especially right now especially women who are you know as she was in her 40s you know sort of at that pivotal point where you're sort you're looking inside hopefully and thinking okay what's what is there for me what what is this what is this journey about? Absolutely, Amy. I think now, you know, particularly these times, interesting times that we're living in, where we've all been forced to be in quarantine and be inside and maybe come off that rat race and off that treadmill, and we're asking what's all this about. So that's part of what the story is of Red Dress. And then you can also look at it as personal development, as a spiritual path. And there's also quite a lot of relationship dynamics that play out um, within the story, she's married to not a, not a very nice husband, I have mm-hmm. to say. Um, and further on in the book, um, there's another character that is a love and sex addict. So there's there's a, there's some quite toxic relationship dynamics that are playing out, which I think people come across in their lives and wonder what's going on in those. So it gains some insight into that. And because she's a therapist, she's having her own therapy. So we're having an insight into what it's like to be able to discuss and uh, problems and issues within one's life. Um, with a therapist so we're looking at uh, a spiritual journey we're looking at the therapist journey we're looking at how she connects with her friends and how she goes within 
and questions what's what's her life about and is it of any value and who is she what are her core values and is she out of alignment with them well and what i love about it is that it ties the the therapy and the spiritual journey and and how they're not separate really right they're all part of as as we all sort of journey through life we look for tools that can help us and i think Absolutely. you you beautifully um package that as like there's all of these different tools and there isn't necessarily I think you talk about uh like there's not necessary if there's only a hammer then you are the nail right but there's not necessarily just one tool that you can use and you really expose the reader to all different types of tools yeah I I fully believe that as well that um you know, even even as a therapist, as a you know yourself, you're a clinical psychologist. Um, not one size fits all, and there may be a really brilliant technique that works for one person for one thing. You could have ten people in your um, consulting room that have all got depression, and they're all going to be different. They're all going to need different things, right? Because so, the depression is is a way that I always say it's a way for us to speak to each other about what someone's experiencing, but it in no way illuminates yeah. their experience. Because how they got sure. there is so different from how anybody else got there. It's absolutely unique. It's as unique as there are people. So I think there are lots of different tools. And I've loved that idea, even as a therapist, of having a toolbox rather than just dismissing people and going, they're resistant, they're in resistance, is to go, actually, they, yeah, they are resistant, but there's a reason for that. And it's to do with their own conditioning anyway. And so let's find if there's a tool that we can use that helps them overcome this so that we can move forward. So it was a great one for weaving tools together. And I think it's there's a whole set of tools within therapy and psychotherapy and psychology. And then there's a whole set of tools on the spiritual path as well. And I absolutely agree with you that they need to come together. Um, because the, the, the spiritual tools help us to find meaning and purpose and a reason for unhooking that stuff from the past of our conditioning that's stopping us moving forward. So it, I like to look at it within the bone circle as looking at your current reality and looking at your vision. Where is it you want to be? But where are you right now? Because this is affecting this. So mm-hmm. you've got to have a look at this to do this and then to do that to become fully present is a very good way of looking and examining what's going on in the past and what you want to create in the future can only really be done from the present moment so there's um yeah and i think within within red dress there's there's things that are in there and everything in red dress is real so even the way she meditates is a real way of meditating you can follow that and, and meditate at home um she has those does an aura soma consultation, for example. That's a real thing. The reader can go and do it. So can um, you talk, I have have that on my list of things I wanted to (laughs) ask you about, because there were all these little, these little pieces that I want to dig deeper into. So can you talk about what that is? The aura soma? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. So aura soma is a a company that's a spiritual company, and they make a whole range of products, actually. And um, if you Google that, you can find them online. And the best thing is, if you want to dip your toes into the waters, is go and find a a consultant in your area and go and have a consultation with her. Um, They have things called pomandas. And there's kind of, as I said, a lot of different products. Um, But the ones that are mentioned in red dress are the what are called the equilibrium bottles. And they're these kind of chunky square bottles that look a bit like a Chanel perfume bottom, bottle. And they've got two fractions, and one is oil and one is water, so one sits on top of the other. And some of them are like maybe two clear fractions together or two green fractions together. And so others are different colors, and some of them are really amazing. And I think um, 
I personally did do Aurasoma and, you know, I did it maybe 15, 20 years ago. And in those days, there was about 100 bottles. And I'm sure nowadays there's way more. And you go along and you just choose which colours sing to you. Not really the ones you love, but the ones that speak to you. Mm. And uh, intuitively, you feel guided towards those colours. Um, and you pick those out in the consultation that involves the, the person you're doing it with. And we'll tell you all about that bottle and what it is and what the essences are and how you use it. And you use, it's a kind of a essence. It's, they've got things, names like Archangel Michael, for example, and that might be blue and white. I don't know because you know, I'm not an orosoma consultant. Um, but you would use those and it helps you vibrationally to heal and re, re, um, sort of um, clear and energetically things that are happening so you would use them with the chakras and that that vibration of that um or a soma essence if you like equilibrium is then allowing um like when you have acupuncture you know sometimes you put the needle in you burst into tears or sometimes mm-hmm. if the needle goes in it's really painful then it goes and it's 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 um tapping into yeah, I think it's it's an energetic clearing. It may not be not the same as acupuncture, obviously, but it's it's kind of energetically working to put things back in balance in the same in similar way to say acupressure or acupuncture. Is it a tincture so, or is it a spray? What is that? No, it's 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 literally in a glass bottle, and the top layer is a very very light oil, and the bottom layer is something else. I don't know, water based, I guess. And they they've got they've got. It's a secret what's in them, you know. I think they're vibrationally, you know, they, they might take something, I just could take a candle to, maybe somebody's kind of, you know, done some prayers over them or mantras over them. Um, I don't know how they're made. It is a secret. It was actually developed by a woman who I think was blind, but had this whole thing uh, downloaded to her around how to work with colour. But it's the colour. So, for example, if you were working with green, a green bottle, it's likely it's to do with the heart chakra. So it relates to the chakras in the energetic system. And then it will always relate to an ascended master or an angel or some kind of force like that. You might get the Archangel Michael bottle and it would be the throat chakra. And then it's it, it's usually got um, some like a bit like... Um, Ooh, what's the word? Um, a little bit like an essential oil. You know, it's got a, it's got a fragrance to it. It's got a color to it. It's got a vibration to it. It's got a name to it. It's got a number, and it, all of those things impact what that bottle means. And the consultant will tell you. And I'm not a consultant. I'm sorry. So I can't. Right. No, no, no. But then she'll tell you how to use it. So she'll say you need to use this morning and night, and you need to shake it up. You shake up the water and the thing, and then you put it on your wrists, or you put it on your throat, or you. Massage it into a part of your body morning and night, and then it clears things. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So, so one of the things I think in your book that you talk about, and really this is sort of the journey of Katie, is consciousness is the key to the evolution of humanity. Can you speak to that a little bit, and and also how we raise our own consciousness? And I want to get into how we raise our own vibration as well, um, and how those two pieces fit together. Yeah, that's a fabulous question. So I think, first of all, we say, okay, what's consciousness? Because, you know, if we look at the dic- dictionary definition of consciousness, it's just being alive, isn't it? If you're unconscious on the uh, operating theatre, or you're unconscious if you've been knocked out in a boxing ring, and if you otherwise you're conscious, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about spiritual consciousness. So for me, consciousness is sort of like um a state of being, a ground state of being of the entire cosmos, not just our universe or our space of being. Mm-hmm. So um, if we think about everything coming from a set central point of creation, which is infinite, and that's emanated out with love, light and consciousness. And so consciousness is really life. 
it's wherever there's life, there's consciousness. And then you think that then consciousness is on an uh, almost like an infinite scale of, 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 of where are you on that level of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Now, the more conscious you are, the more aware you are. So it really comes down to awareness. Um, and this is where it fits so beautifully with therapy because, you know, we know in therapy that we're deeply programmed and deeply conditioned in the first five to seven years of life. And sometimes we're running on automatic. We're yeah. running on these completely automatic programs and patterns. And that's not being conscious. We don't really have a choice because we're just running along these tram lines that have been made within the psyche. So sometimes consciousness, I think, begins with awareness. It begins with you going, actually, there's more to life than this. Actually, I'm unhappy about this. I'm sad about this. I'm angry about this. I feel constricted. Um, I feel depressed. Whatever it is that's going on for you, most people try to bat that away and just carry on with their life. And I think the minute you go, hang on a minute, and you go within, and then you say you become aware of what's going on with you, that's the beginning of you waking up to a greater consciousness. Now, when you go into higher levels of consciousness, you start to become aware of things like we are all connected. And it doesn't, it's not just a saying anymore. It's something that you can feel and experience that, that we are all connected. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just a scientific thing that somebody's written on a page. And then when you know you're connected and you, you start to have compassion and you start to be able to tune into what other people are feeling, then you're not going to hurt them. You know, you, you would never dream of, of hurting another person mm-hmm. uh, purposefully. Um, so, the minute you start to become conscious and aware, you become conscious of your thoughts and your words and your actions and what you do and how that affects you and how it affects others and how it affects the world. So you start to open up your mind into what I would call the intuitive mind or the spiritual mind, where it's not just the rational and the logical, you're going into the spiritual mind where you become aware of so much more. And for me, it's almost it's a greater love. It's that greater understanding of love. Um, Which I think so also you, comes with a deeper understanding of pain, right? Yes, because there's a balance. Yeah, like if you can love so deeply, then you can also feel everything else as deeply. But I don't believe you can get to loving deeply without also being able to experience the other feelings just as deeply. Yeah, I think because you can't be sensitized. So you're becoming more sensitized right. to, to that love. And so therefore you are more sensitized to the pain. Um, and, you know, it's a bit like Rumi, isn't it? The, the wound is where the light comes in. It's it's the wound that hurts that you've got to look at and stare, stare it down in the face because that's where the light will come in. Um, yeah, so I, I agree with you. And I think so going back to evolution and consciousness is, if we think about consciousness, it's really the key to human evolution. Because if you, I live in Africa, South Africa, and we have a lot of townships here and a lot of poverty. And you can see that it would be great for, and I would love to do it one day when I've got time and money to do it, I will do it, um, to set up a charity which deals with the mothers. Because those mothers in those townships are really looking after the kids on their own. The men are on, quite often absent, not all of them, but quite often absent. So you've got these, and they're often young when they have their children. So you've got these young women who are barely sort of um, awake themselves, barely adult, and they're looking after children. And if you could work with those women to empower them to become more consciously aware, then they can make a difference to the children they're bringing up, which makes a difference to the next generation. And so it goes on. Mm -hmm. And if we all became aware and we all went into that pain and we all became more sensitive and understood the bigger picture, 
we'd have a very different world. Even our connection to Mother Earth and Mother Nature, to each other, the relationships that we have would grow. Um, and so that's that's sort of consciousness, if you like, and how that evolves us. And then the other question you asked was about vibration, and I think they're really, really interconnected like that. And um, and so how know. does that work with vibration? Like I think you talk about love, right? Love being the highest vibration that we're all mo- moving towards. And if I, I think the two are very interconnected, right? Like if you are conscious and aware and you can feel deeply and you can feel love deeply, then your vibration is higher, which then attracts more. Yes, I absolutely agree with you there. Um, so for me as well, love is sort of probably beyond what we as human beings understand because we can know what it feels like to love our partner or love our children or love our sibling or love our dog or love chocolate, you know, or whatever it is that you love. Um, But I think there's a greater love, which is the substance of the universe, which is possibly beyond our understanding, which kind of feeds more into peace and compassion as well. And I think when people have been meditating for some time, we touch glimpses of it. We get those tastes of honey with that absolutely incredible and then um, it goes away and you're like oh gosh come back how do I get that back and then you get pulled out of the meditation and it's the whole cycle (laughs) totally totally but we get at least we're getting a taste of honey to know what it is and yeah that's all about vibration and then we know that everything is really vibration because what is vibration it's a wave you know it's a waveform if I if I strum a guitar and I uh, hit the string it goes and it's the it's the string is vibrating so that's a vibration So if we think about the colors of the rainbow or the sounds that we hear, everything in your life is made up of a vibration. And this actually fits extremely well with sort of string theory, and which is about vibrating at at, at that kind of level. So even leading edge science is saying everything's about vibration. Everything is saying it's coming from light. Um, And it's it's the matter, which is we are, is coming from a light wave. And when it's observed, it becomes a particle, but it's a wave. Anything that's a waveform is going to have a frequency and is going to have a vibration. And so, yeah, love is at the top of the tree and that's what we're all aiming for. And, you know, when you're feeling afraid or you're grieving or you're depressed, you've got no energy. You don't vibrate. You don't feel vibrant. You feel, Um, but the minute you're um, in flow or you're doing what you love, you're fulfilling your purpose, you've got healthy relationships, you've got healthy boundaries, you've, you know, seen down your demons and felt that pain and let that go. And the minute you do that, you feel alive, don't you? You feel like, wow, I've got energy, I've got vitality. And I think nature's a great one for that as well, to go out into nature and connect with nature. You know, there's not, I had a, there was the most beautiful double rainbow where I lived the other day. It was oh, wow. Rain. We're in the middle of winter, I'm in uh, the Southern Hemisphere. And, um, and my bedroom, wind, I've got a big bedroom window and it overlooks the ocean and it overlooks a, a harbour and there's mountains and sea. Oh. And there was this incredible double rainbow. And I just sat there breathtaking and that taste of honey again. And you just, it, you're awestruck by the beauty of mm-hmm. it. And that's raising your vibration if you can start to tune into that. Because, and so many things, it's all interconnected, Amy, because even if you think about your focus, what you're focused on, what you're thinking about, did I sit there and take five minutes and look and just be fully present with that rainbow and go, wow, this is absolutely stunning, a double one. It, it's just, I could see the whole thing from beginning to end. Um, and just take five minutes out of my busy day to just be with it and just be so raised up by it. 
Or am I shuffling around going, oh, I'm really busy. I've got too much to do. And, you know, you know whatever things are occupying people. Well, um, and so a lot of it is choice, isn't it? As well? Yeah. And I think that, that simplifying it in that way, I, I often find that some of these concepts feel to people overwhelming and complicated. And they think uh, awakening happens like, you know, you're sitting and voices from God come to you or from source or whatever you, however anybody wants to define that spirit, universe, creator, everybody has their own kind of way they like to define that. But it really is in these very simple moments of just appreciating nature or a bird and noticing. And you can't do that if you're not conscious and aware, right? Completely, completely. I mean, one of the most beautiful things that in the morning, in the morning when I get up, I do a little bit of spiritual practice and um, I'm looking at that beautiful window over the ocean. And then I go to, and no matter what, unless it's pouring with rain, I might not do it then. Otherwise, even if it's cold, I'll go out in my garden barefoot. Uh, even if it's cold and it's winter. And then I look at a stone, like a rock in my garden. And I go stand on that rock and I just listen. And there's the most beautiful birds and bird sound. And maybe there's a dog barking somewhere and maybe I can hear the ocean. It doesn't matter where you are, but if you just find that stillness and you're absolutely right, we can plug into that and it raises your vibration quickly and it goes back to awareness. Um, so I what like do what you, you were saying, do? Oh, sorry. go ahead. Go ahead. No, no I was just going to say, I like what you were saying about people expecting the big trumpet call, you know, like, you're awake. And um, I think a few, a few people. A few Enlightenment souls, is here yeah, for you. Sometimes it happens, but it's sort of, it's almost like, um, imagine that uh, it's like a block, a, a block of apartment block, you know, and if you're in the basement, you're on a low vibration. If you're in the basement, you've got low awareness or low consciousness. It doesn't mean anything. You can have a perfectly good life in the basement, but you can't see very much from the basement. If you go right up to the top of that building, you probably have a magnificent view. And the, and the further up that building you go, the more you can see. Um, and so it's a little bit like that with consciousness. Now, some people are lucky enough to get the elevator to the top and they do have some big sort of trumpet fanfare that's something that wakes them up, you know, near-death experience some people have or maybe an even an illness um, or a, a grieving process or something. Some people, I think maybe the souls have chosen that beforehand, part of their soul plan, but they have that experience of being awakened. But what you find is they're taken straight up to the top of the building in the elevator, but then they're kind of brought back down and they've got to go back up. Right. Um, whereas I think most normal people are taking the stairs, step at a time. Right. right. So but what do you there. say to people who are, who are depressed, who are sad, who are in the throes of grief or loss, which so many people are right now, and and I think that there's a there's a real balance between uh, not m- making people feel like those feelings aren't valid and oh you just have to feel the higher vibration so you can get out of it because it's not that right. Absolutely agree with you. Absolutely on the same page as you, Amy. You've got to acknowledge it because you can't otherwise you're just denying, aren't you? <clears throat> Excuse me. If you're in grieving, it's a normal, natural human emotion to grieve if you've loved someone and lost them it's normal and even depression is a normal reaction to go within to to look at something um to stop being out there you know to go actually i feel depressed i'm going to just stay in and go in and what's going on and to go into self-analysis in some way so i think to just deny it and go no everything's fine i'm just going to you know put my happy music on a dance you're just going into denial and all of that, all that's doing is suppressing it and building up trouble later on. Because if you're suppressing something like that, eventually it's going to turn into some kind of physical illness. Because I fully believe that a lot of chronic illness comes from 
um, emotional, mental constructs which have been buried and, you know, pushed away. So I think the first thing, if you are in a place of grieving um, or depression with things that are going on in the world at the moment, well, crikey, it is a depressing place right now. And the first thing you need to do is acknowledge it and honour it. It's just to absolutely acknowledge I'm in a bad place. I'm depressed. I'm grieving. It's hard. It's tough. And acknowledge it. That's the very first thing and honour the fact you're going through that. And it's all part of the experience of life. Um, and then from there, it's about going into a, moving into a place of acceptance of what is, because I think a lot of people don't want to accept what is. And so they're fighting against reality. And that causes its own problems. And, and sometimes that's difficult. And also everybody's got their own process and you, know, you can't force it. It's like trying to force open a rosebud. You know, you'll break it with your fingers. If you put that rosebud in the sun, it will slowly unfold um, in its own time and organically in its own way. So I think if anybody's feeling that sort of thing, it's, 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 a, it's a process. And I think that process chart starts with awareness again and consciousness and choice. Choice is hugely powerful. So to say, to acknowledge say it's depression, I'm feeling really depressed right now. I acknowledge it and I honour the space I'm in. But I'm going to choose to come out of this. I don't know how I'm going to come out of this, but I want to choose to enjoy my life again. I want to choose to be able to look at the rainbow and think it's wonderful. I can't do that right now, but that's what I'm aiming for. I'm going to choose that. And then there's a moving through, the honouring of the space and the accepting what is, and then accepting that I am where I'm at. And once you get acceptance and choice, there's a momentum and there's a direction. And I think once you've got a direction, it's easier to, to start to move through um, what's actually blocking everything, what's actually causing the depression. I mean, with grief, it's a bit different because you know what's causing the grief. Mm-hmm. Um I think that's how you, I would approach somebody who's in that kind of space who's not yet on a spiritual path. If you've been on a spiritual path for ages, it's different, I think, because I think you can be a bit more detached and observe and be the observing, witnessing self. A little bit like Eckhart Tolle when he said, oh, I'm so depressed, and he realized there was two of him. And I think if you've had a long spiritual path, you're able to do that. And even through the sadness or the depression or the grieving, you're able to still meditate and look at the rainbow right. and have moments of joy. And I think you move through it quicker. Up. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. You don't get stuck in it. You're able to. And it's and it's not I want to be clear for people. It's not about spiritually bypassing it. Because I think that that's something that a lot of people try to do is like, oh, well, if I just do yoga and meditate and and believe that, you know, we're talking about grief here, when a soul dies, it goes on. And um, and so everything is good in the world. No, because you're still feeling the sadness of being a human being and experiencing the loss of someone you love or whatever it is. I just think that you can move through that grief or sadness or depression or anxiety, whatever it is. Because you have all these tools in your toolbox. So you're like, okay, well, today I'm going to pick the tool where I go for a walk in nature, or I'm going to pick the connecting with my friends, or I'm going to pick the uh, meditating or yoga or whatever it is. And you just sort of go through the list of, okay, what is, what do I need today that's going to help pull me out of that? That's going to help me put one foot in front of the other today. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I think it's when if, if you've got on a spiritual path, you've probably got an overarching, bigger, greater um, understanding and greater picture, bigger picture of it all. Um, but yeah, it's not about denying and it's not about being horrible to yourself or tough with yourself. You could be gentle with yourself. And these things need to be processed. 
And as you say, it's just how quickly you're able to process it. And that's going to depend on how conscious you are and what tools are in your box. And also some of the tools in the box are just things like having very um, solid community around you, say, mm-hmm. can be an, an enormous comfort. Whereas if you're living on your own, that can be very hard to move through grief. Um, so yes, there is the understanding that the soul goes on and everything else, but that doesn't going to take away the pain that the person you love has just left and has gone, you know, passed to the other side. You're missing them and it's acknowledging and accepting and then moving through it and right. finding those tools that help you to move through it. So can we talk a little bit about some of these other concepts that I, I've heard but don't know a ton about? So you talk about the Schumann resonance. Yeah. Okay, so the the Schumann resonance is um, the kind of natural resonance that the Earth, natural nature Earth has. So as I said before, everything's got a frequency, everything's got a vibration, and everything's got a resonance. Um, And there's a resonance pattern called the Schumann resonance, which is like a baseline natural resonance. Now, if you go for a walk in nature and you're listening to the sound of birds or the sound of the waves on the beach or a waterfall tumbling or leaves rustling or anything natural, it will be in tune with that Schumann resonance. And that we are as part of nature, we are part of the planet, part of creation. And as part of creation, um, as part of divinity or source or whatever, you know, the earlier said, however you want to call that, it doesn't matter. Um, We are also part of that Schumann resonance. So when we're in the Schumann resonance, we feel much, much better, which is why when you go walking um, in nature, you, you feel better. It's not it's not just because you're getting fresh air and exercise and there's no city noise. It's also the Schumann resonance. Now, actually, the Schumann resonance has been going off the scale recently. There's all kinds of weird weird um, anomalies that are going on with the Schumann resonance. And you can track that. Yeah, online. I was going to say, can you tell people where? Because you can see what it looks like, right? Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the website, but if you Google Schumann resonance, you, uh, uh, you'll find it. And there is a chart and it's, it's, as you said, it's like a kind of a, um, a graph that shows you exactly where it is. And sometimes it goes off the scale and that affects us, particularly if you are sensitive. You were talking earlier on about how um, the more that you feel love and the more open and aware and conscious you become, the more you feel the pain as well. Well, the more you're going to feel the Schumann resonance shift. Those are the days when you're going to feel, oh, I've got no energy today. And it's, look it up. It's, it's either going to be the Schumann resonance or the other one is solar flares that affect us hugely because they uh, they affect the electromagnetic field that we're in. So but the Schumann the- resonance is is an energy I'm I'm confused at what exactly it is. It's a wavelength or a frequency. Okay, so it's a frequency or a vibration based on the na- nature. So it's based probably on based on Fibonacci or something. I think it, I can't remember the. It used to be something like seven point something hertz um, was the Schumann resonance. But as I said, it's changing and shifting all the time. Um, but so if you hear a bird sing, for example. That the frequency of the song of the bird and the vibration of that bird singing is in harmony with the Schumann resonance. So, you know, harmonics, you've got different, you know, if you play harmony on a, if you're singing harmonies. Um, I, don't, because, I don't sing. Okay, or if you play <laughs> the piano or anything, any kind of music. If there's harmonies, you've got people on different notes, but they're all fitting together. So if you um, think of a wave like that, then mm-hmm. the harmonies all fit within inside that wave. They're harmonics. Um, so this is, you can look at it scientifically, you can use it, look at it musically, but anything within the earth that's natural will be somewhere in harmony with the Schumann resonance, which is a resonant pattern of the earth. It goes out of whack and it makes us go out of whack. But what's much worse 
um, is that modern technology really puts us out of the Schumann resonance because we are in frequencies all the time. As I sit here talking to you, I'm in um, a Wi-Fi frequency. Now, I don't usually use Wi-Fi, actually. I usually use internet, but I knew we needed to be on my computer and on my phone, and I thought, I can't plug all of this into it. I'll just put Wi-Fi on for the, for the interview, for the podcast. But I'm aware that I am now in a Wi-Fi frequency, which is not natural, and it does not harmonize with the Schumann resonance. So if we're on our mobile phones a lot, or we're on the computer a lot, or we're around electronics, or you go into a shopping mall, or a big block of offices, all of those things, there's huge, huge, huge amounts of electromagnetic interference. And electromagnetic frequencies, which are man-made, and they're out of alignment with the natural frequencies of the planet. So to get back in alignment, you get back into nature. Get back into nature and turn your phone off and don't take your phone with you and try to get to a place where there is no, there's very few places, but if you can go out into the wilderness where there's not much of a phone signal, not no Wi-Fi. Let me share this. I just got back from Iceland and we were hiking to see a volcano, literally at the top of one of the, I don't even know how far we were because we couldn't see in front of us because it was super foggy. There is a cell phone tower. Oh no. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, no. It was just, and you look around and you're like, first of all, we couldn't look around because we couldn't really see, but it was just like, like, do we have to do this? And and satellite panels, I think, as well. Mm. Um, Mm. And it might just be because this volcano is, is actively erupting and they're streaming it live. So you can get online right now and see if the volcano is erupting or smoking or spurting or whatever it's doing. But I just think about that. And it's like, you know, if you're not there, you shouldn't be able to see it, right? Like you're just because it's about being there. That's right. Absolutely. And I think things are getting worse as we go on, because now the entire planet is covered. I mean, in South Africa, you can't buy a landline now. You have to have a mobile phone because Mm. the landlines get stolen. So you cannot buy an ordinary old fashioned landline. You have to have a mobile. And also now there's so many satellites in space and they're beaming stuff at us like GPS There's everything. We're completely surrounded by electronic frequencies, which are not natural to the human body. And then we wonder why we're so stressed or depressed or all the rest of it, or have no energy, and we've got lots of different uh, chronic illnesses and inflammation and all of these things. And part of it, I mean, there's lots, I'm not saying it's the entire picture. There's lots of things to go into. But part of it is the modern world in which we live. And this is why when you can put your phone, uh, leave your phone somewhere else and get out of the Wi-Fi, turn your Wi-Fi off at night. You know, you don't need it on at night. Turn your Wi-Fi off at night. Put your phone on airplane mode at night. Don't have it in your bedroom. I know a lot of people wake up. The first thing they do is reach for their phone. They're still in bed. I don't turn my phone on for an hour after I've got up. People just know. If they really, really need to get me, they'll can phone me, but I never put data on or Wi-Fi on. I don't pick up anything, messages, nothing. If it's urgent, they'll phone me. Um, nope, and then I can nope do my spiritual practice and go outside and ground with the earth and listen to the birds and get my resonance pattern and, you know, make sure that my vibration is there. And I, I work a lot with sacred names and mantras and prayer and things like that and breath work and all sorts of things that you can use to raise your vibration. But start the day like that. My vibration is nice and high. And then after about an hour, I go, OK, now I'll put my phone on and see what's going on in the world. I'm not saying ditch your phone, you know, be completely cut off. I mean, I would like the middle to. way is the proper way. Huh? What, what is the Fibonacci? 
Fibonacci, okay, Fibonacci, Fibonacci. Yeah, Fibonacci sequence. So Fibonacci was a Italian um, mathematician from many centuries ago, and he discovered this sequence of numbers, um, which is called the Fibonacci sequence. Now, what happens is you take what, so it starts with one, and then the next one is one, and then if you add one and one together, it's two, and then so now you've got one, one, two, and if you add two and one together, you get three. So now you've got one, one, two, three, and then you add three and two, you've got one, one, two, three, five, and it goes on like that. You add the last two digits, you get the last number. Now, nature works on that Fibonacci pattern. It's an unfoldment pattern of creation. So if you look at um, the, the classical one they all say to look at is those uh, ammonite shells that unfold from the, the middle, and they, they're like a snail shell. Uh-huh. And so each of the little compartments gets bigger and bigger by this ratio, which is called the golden mean or golden ratio or the phi ratio. Um, which is sort of pretty much the Fibonacci. Um, and if you even look at plants, if you think about a plant, it will it, it throws up a shoot. It grows one leaf, then another leaf. Now it knows how to grow two leaves. So it grows two more leaves. And, now, and then it goes like this. So, I'm going to go to my garden even, right after this. Yeah. And even if you look, if you look at a pine cone or a um, sunflower, the middle of a sunflower, all the seeds are um, often petals of roses, all kinds of things. If you count them, they're nearly always in a Fibonacci numbers and they create spirals as well. So there's a Fibonacci spiral. It's quite difficult to explain without pictures and graphics, but um, there's a whole spiral and it's, it shows a great, it, it starts off quite tight spiral and then it kind of flows out quite big because it's going up in this Fibonacci um, sequence. So and again, what, do you, what does a, that tell us then? Mathematics. Right. What do you think mathematics that mathematics okay. of creation for me, it's a sacred mathematics of creation. So in a way, it's showing us that our creation has behind it um, a wisdom, uh, an intelligence. It's not just happenstance. It just hasn't just happened. It hasn't just evolved. Your everything, you know, in nature hasn't just suddenly arrived or suddenly evolved. There's a pattern behind it. There's a, there's a geometry, there's a vibration, and there's a, a sacred mathematics behind it, which is the mathematics of unfoldment. Um, and it, it's quite interesting to work with as well. So you can work with it if you're creating stuff. So um, one of the things I do in the – I teach a thing called the bone circle, and then in the advanced training in that, we do a thing called gift of life, which is the life that's been given to you that you've always been here to – live it's your soul's purpose life and you're given it as a gift a divine gift in a in a kind of meditation and then we have five um main what we call choices and then five fundamental choices so we've got we're working with the fibonacci we've got two lots of fibonacci sets um to unfold that and create it within your life so um just interesting it kind of goes starts to go into sacred geometry um, which we can find in everything. We can find that even if we go down, particularly if you go down to the subatomic level or the molecular structure. So a lot of people say, oh, there's no straight lines in nature. Well, you look at um, a crystal under a microscope, something like that under a microscope, mm. you'll see amazing straight lines in there. There's geometries in there. You know, the, uh, if you look at um, a, a diamond under a microscope, there's an incredible structure um, with lots of straight lines. And those structures are often according to sacred mathematics and Fibonacci is part of that. My God, I could do a podcast on each one of these pieces. There's so much to learn. We'll have to do another one, Amy. <laughs> We're going to have to dig in deeper. And then you talked a little bit about the golden phi? Or the golden mean or phi. Golden mean yeah, or phi, yeah. 
Yeah, I can't. On the tip of my fingers, I don't know you're going to ask me about this, but um, the the gold. So if you, it's a it's 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 uh, it's a it's literally a ratio um, of. And if you take actually, if you look at the screen that we're looking on, these two little the square windows that we're they're probably golden mean. They're probably the fee ratio because that the, the fee ratio tends to look pleasing to us. So there's all these things that go into these different ratios and it's connected deeply to the Fibonacci. Um, so if you, if you take those numbers, you, you, you can say, uh, I, I, it's extremely difficult to do. I'm sorry, Amy. It's very no, difficult to describe no. it without a visual because it's such a visual thing. <laughs> it's such a visual thing. But the, um, if you look it up, Leonardo da Vinci was um, renowned for using the fee ratio or the golden ratio in his paintings and where he placed people would be on that Fibonacci spiral. So it is. It's so a that's the the, spiral, the circle that he always used. Well, it's it's a spiral. No, that's that's something else. That's Vitruvian Man. I'm going to actually just kind of try and draw this for you. For those who are listening on Fireside, yeah, sorry, we're on can, Zoom. I'm too, sorry. So, <laughs> you, so you, you can. Um, we're able to see, but you will be able to see this on YouTube, so people so, can. You know, fib, I, I can't really draw it, but it, it's sort of like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It starts tight and then it comes out mm-hmm. um, very quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's because it's it's based on all these actual ratios. I'm sorry. I'm not putting this very well, but um, I, di- I wasn't expecting you to ask me. I, I find the obscure things that my listeners <laughs> I know would be would love to hear, but we haven't talked about yet on the show. Yeah. So. Uh, so, so yeah, fee ratios and golden ratios and golden mean and Fibonacci are all connected and they're all sacred mathematics and sacred geometries. Um, so it, and it feeds into how things are created. Uh, not just that not man creates, but creation itself. As I said, crystals are a great example of that. Um, nature, you see that Fibonacci spiral. It's a spiraling um, that you see in, particularly prominently in pine cones. Um, you see it in planetary systems as well and in the solar system as well. But you'd also see it if you went down to look at the structure inside a crystal. Um, so it's everywhere. And then man has used it particularly... The way Leonardo da Vinci used it is if he, it, it, within his paintings, not Vitruvian Man, which is the one you're thinking of, I think, with the man like this in the circle, mm-hmm. which is also, by the way, is also sacred geometries and Fibonacci ratios because each of the ratios, bet- you know, the ratio between this here and this and this, you've got three joints on oh. your finger. So the little top of your pinky, then the middle piece between the next two joints and the bit between the knuckle and there, that will be a Fibonacci ratio golden mean ratio wow okay so even the human being is built on that ratio it's a fascinating subject i mean you could go there's people who specialize in it you can go into it in a lot I'm gonna of depth find them i'm gonna find those people and have them on the find show those people and have them on. one other fascinating thing to get into one one other question before i'll open it up for people to come up and ask their questions is where do you see the future of science and spirituality going and i know you talk about the quantum field, which I haven't ca- talked about much on the show, but I am determined to get someone on who can talk about that with me. Um, an eighth dimensional space. I have talked about higher dimensions, um, but I'm just curious about kind of your thoughts on those those pieces. Oh, really interesting. I think that leading edge science is going full circle towards spirituality. So maybe things that the spiritual people have known for a long time, it couldn't explain scientifically are becoming discovered now by science and we're going hey wow so if we, you mentioned eighth dimensional space so 
within our brains, scientists have discovered, it's called the Blue Brain Project, if anybody wants to go and look it up. They've discovered that we have eight dimensional geometries within our brain, within the um, firing of the synapses and dendrons and uh, dendrites and stuff. So there's, we've got eight dimensional geometries going on. And so why? Well, must be because we can tap into eight dimensional space. Now, dimensions in and of themselves is a whole lecture, really, because it's not layers. I think sometimes people think of it as layers or a ladder, but it's not. It's something way beyond that. So if you think of a line on a page that goes from one bit to the other, that's one dimension. Um, you know, if you if you then take another line and two more and join those up and make a draw a square on a piece of paper, now you're in two dimensions. If you take that and make a cube, now you're in three dimensions. So you can see how it's not just going up a ladder. It's something completely different. So fourth dimensional cube, we can only represent that in three dimensions because we live in a three dimensional world. It's actually a moving cube. It's called a tesseract. And you can look that up on the Internet and have a look at it and play with it. And it's fabulous. So that's just fourth dimension. So when you get to eighth dimension, it's a bit mind boggling, boggling. Uh, but there was a, a scientist called a Dr. Elizabeth Rauscher, sadly passed away now, and she wrote a book with Dr. J.J. Hertak called uh, Mind Dynamics in Space, and it was about remote viewing. And she is, was a physicist, full-on scientist, and she explains, I mean, it's an extremely heavy-going book to read. It's not light at all, but she explains how we have to go into what she calls eighth space or the eighth dimension in order to go beyond time and space as we understand it, in order to remote view. Because when they did remote viewing and they she studied it and um, had lots of remote viewers in doing things, not only are they re remotely viewing somewhere, say, the other side of the world, or there was one guy who could remote view things that were going on on the moon or Mars and things like that. So not only – they were just given coordinates, by the way. They had no idea. They were given a set of coordinates and they had to go in and draw what they saw. So not only were they going across – space to go to another part of the world to draw what was there by sitting in a room and using their mind sometimes they would draw something that wasn't there and the researchers were thinking okay well this is crazy why have you drawn oh, i think it was one guy called pat price i think his name was a very good and eagle swan was the other guy they were amazing this is back in the 50s and 60s and uh, russell targ is the other guy who ran the project and the one guy he drew this picture and there was these big water towers and they go there's no water towers there why did you draw that and then they did some research and they found out those water towers were there in the 30s but they've been taken away so when he remote viewed that place not only did he see the place but he was seeing through time and space so she was she actually has this whole theory and explains how that happens which starts to get extremely scientific so that's it's, it's encouraging, I think, for anybody on the spiritual path to see that science is catching up. But I actually don't think science will ever completely catch up because it takes so long for them to prove things and understand things. Um, so uh, I work a lot with the Book of Knowledge, the Keys of Enoch, which is the keys to future science. Um, and that, that um, teaching talks a lot about future science and where science will be going. And when it was actually written in 1973, and uh, a lot of people thought that, um, you know, it was... It was rubbish. Let's make, you know, a lot of scientists said, oh, no, this is rubbish. But now it's being scientifically proven because we've come that 40-odd whatever years. And in that time, science has caught up and starting to go, oh, actually, this is correct. So um, I think it's extremely exciting. The problem we've got, I think, which I don't really want to go into within the context of this thing, is politics and how money and politics and uh, could, could actually take technology and science in the wrong direction because uh, and so one of the um for the academy for future science which wrote the book of knowledge of the keys of enoch they their their um uh 
mission statement is science guided by consciousness. And I think that's so important. So full circle to what we were talking about consciousness. If you're going to start understanding that cutting leading edge of science and the quantum field and eighth dimensional space and all of these other things, it needs to be guided by consciousness. What is the book that you were referring to? What's it called? Um, it's a teaching that I've been with for about 15 years, and I, I absolutely love and adore it, and that's why I do it. And it's called The Book of Knowledge, The Keys of Enoch by Dr. J.J. Hertak. It's a fabulous teaching. It's, it's not easy. Um, it's not an easy thing. I've been studying it for 15 years. I still don't understand it. It's one of those. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I just absolutely love and adore I teach. I actually um, uh, facilitate a study group and teach it. But I still like, I just sometimes think I don't know anything. And I've been studying it for 15 years. Um, it's best to go to a study group. But, but there's lots of them in America. So you can find a, find a study group and go along. Or, or by all means, get, get the teaching. Because it's, it's an amazing teaching. Interesting. And there's lots of other books that he's written as well. But, wow. Well, I'm going to open it up for questions in just a second. So if anybody wants to raise their hand and come on up on the stage and ask a question of Bridget, please do so. But in the meantime, Bridget, where can people find you if they want to know more about your work, what you offer, your course offerings? Thank you. Yeah, the best place to find me is my website. Um, so BridgetFinclair.com. And it's an unusual spelling. I'm sure you've got it there on the screen. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll. Yeah. I'll you put it all there. in the show notes for people. So Thank you. Yeah, no so that's my website. Go there and you can sign up to my newsletter. There's a little bit about the bone circle. There's a lot about red dress. Um, you can follow me on social media. I'm on the usual sort of Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Bridget Finclair's on an unusual name and you'll find me. Um, the book is launched actually in USA on Sunday, the 1st of August, but it's available to pre-order from Amazon or Barnes & Noble, or you can go to John Hunt Publishing, which is the publisher, to get that. Just wanted to talk about the Bone Circle briefly. Sure. So the Bone Circle is a training that I developed. I'm not going to tell you all about it. I'm just going to tell you how to find information about it. Gotcha. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a training that I developed, um, and I used to teach it one-to-one, -one, and I want to actually make it even more amazing than it was before, and I want to add in some more um, things to that and round it out and take it up to an even higher vibration, and I want to put it online so it's accessible. But because of the book launch, and, uh, um, and I'm in the middle of writing the second book because there's a trilogy. I haven't had time to do that. So Bone Circle is not available yet. But if you want to know about it, there is a page on my website. Send me an email, uh, a contact message. I will put you on a list. And when it's up and running, it will have its own dedicated website. And I'll get back in touch with you. And you're welcome to come and do the Bone Circle with me. Okay. I might do the Bone Circle with you. You'd love it, Amy. It sounds it, like it. So we have a couple. Thank you so much, Bridget. And we have a few people who, well, one person to start with who wants to come on up and ask questions. So I'm going to allow them up on the stage to just thank you. ask you their questions. Okay. Hi, John. Hi, Amy. And hello, Bridget. Very nice to meet you. Um, hello, John. This has been an absolutely fascinating conversation, and I, I do think that you two should do this on the regular because you're <laughs> you're speaking about things that make my little heart happy. I gotta admit, so that's awesome. I am um, I'm actually in the middle of a rabbit hole focused on sacred tones and sacred geometry and all of this stuff. So it's kind of synch uh, synchronistic that you'd be talking about this today. But most of what I have learned, uh, admittedly, comes from um, you know, studying uh, occultism or uh, Kabbalistic 
practices, things like that. So I'm wondering if you have some suggestions that lean more towards the science of it, like uh, books that might be recommended. Um, well, you could do no worse than looking at the Book of Knowledge, the Keys of Enoch, but actually they have a website um, which is called keysofenoch.org and they're under the umbrella of the Academy for Future Science and there's many, many teachings there. Um, also, some Kabbalistic work is actually really interesting. Um, the Sefer Yetzira is a brilliant teaching um, mm-hmm. uh, that you could look at. Um, you know, Kabbalah is a real mixed bag and it depends on what level you, you've taken it at. Um, but if you're looking at sacred geometry, there's there's lots of uh, quite good courses online on sacred geometry as well. There's a guy in Australia called Jane, J-A-I-N, I think he is 108, I think it's called, in sacred geometry. Um, and there's also um, various, and there's an, another guy in Europe somewhere who does beautiful sacred geometry work if you want to go in that direction. In terms of sacred tones and sacred music, um, I think music is such a personal preference, isn't it? It's what you like, you've got to kind of follow what you like. Um, but the a lot of the Eastern chants are really fabulous. Um, you know, a lot of the, uh, like, Om Mani Padmi Hum and all of those, and the Green Tara chants and the Sanskrit chants that you can look into. And they've got lovely, soft, gentle vibration because it's Eastern philosophy, so it brings in the feminine. So, because I think if you're doing Kabbalah and sacred, sacred geometry, sacred tones, you're probably leaning towards more the Western way of doing things. So it might be quite nice to bring in the Eastern because it balances that. Um if you're really into the Kabbalah, there's a lot of Kabbalistic names, of uh, divine names that you can work with and chant, which can raise your vibration. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that answers your question or not, John. Uh, it, it does, but specifically regarding the sacred tones, like do you, uh, do you have any suggestions for like um, scientific papers or uh, published works regarding the, the actual, like discussing the hertz and what what each level of them do at certain pitches and things like that. I mean, other than what I can find online, which to be honest has been pretty full, but I'm just looking for more credible sources than being able to Google it, you know? Yeah, sure. And I understand. I, I, I don't know. I can't help you with that, John. I don't know specifically. I can't point you into direction of a teaching around those frequencies and tones for healing. But okay. the way I do it is intuitively. Because your own intuitive understanding of it is so powerful. So you can even work with toning to heal yourself. Um, and you go into a meditative space and go into whatever it is you're trying to heal, whether that's emotional, mental or physical. And you go into that and start just making a sound. And you'll usually find that sound is quite a cacophony. It's not very nice because it's clearing <laughs> a little yeah. bit like the orosoma or the acupuncture is clearing. And then you just keep singing and toning and toning and toning. And eventually you'll get to a very clear, beautiful tone. And that will be the tone for that, for you, for clearing that organ or that thing in your life. There's a guy in London as well, Pierce, I think I can't, sorry, I can't remember his name, um, who, who, who wrote a book, I think it's called Alchemy of Voice. And that's quite nice. And he talks about how we're all born with our own note. And when you know your note and he finds it for you, then you're in total resonance with your own note, which I find really powerful. If you're thinking about um, sacred tones, I sometimes think well, what's out there that we can study um, in depth in a book is, is fa- fabulous stuff to a study. And if you find a book, fantastic. Just put out, I would actually just put out there to the universe that you want to find the book that's right for you, that teaches you more and it will come into your hands magically. I really am a great believer in set the intention and 
choose something and then keep your eye out because it will come. Um, mm-hmm. But working intuitively for you might be very powerful because you might actually create your own way of working, which would be deeply, deeply resonant with you in terms of the tone itself and the sound as well, because there's the vowel sounds as well as the tones. So you can play around with that with your own voice and open up the, 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 the throat chakra to really sing out and work with that. But I don't know whether you're doing that with singing or whether you're doing that with instruments. Uh, well, uh, a combination of both. I, uh, you know, I, I do meditation and I do chanting when I, when I get into that state, but I'm also applying sacred tones to my music as well and um, trying to you know, create Beautiful. something out of that. But uh, so I don't want to... The Fibonacci would be useful for you to look at Fibonacci sequences for tonal work for music. I know a guy <laughs> I, who was working with that. I, uh, I do that myself, actually. Um, awesome. And I, uh, I also uh, use it to uh, apply to structures of songs. So it's any, it helps me create anything from tempo to tone to mood. There's a lot of different ways you can apply it. And I was yeah. going to say, if you to ever decide to dive back into uh, the Fibonacci sequence, I have a list a mile long of uh, of musicians who have applied it to their music since you know 17th century. I'd, I'd be happy to Bach. share. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, wow. absolutely. No, yeah, that I could I could do a whole like you did great work. a whole year on Fibonacci sequences. I would be there for every episode. I can promise <laughs> you that. Um, well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, Amy Bridget. Thank you so much for uh, having me on, and thank you for that uh, wonderful input, Bridget. I'm definitely going to take to heart the things that you said. Thank you very much. Thanks, John, and, thank and thanks for, for listening John. and for your question. Anybody else have any questions they want to come up and ask? Nope. Okay. Well, thank you everybody for tuning in today and listening. I actually do have another show tomorrow on Fireside. It's a little bit different. Tomorrow's show is about um, growing, grieving, growing from grief. It's called From Grief to Growth. So tune in tomorrow. I think it's at one, but you can check and see. Um, I'll send an invite when I go on. But thank you all for listening. And Bridget, thank you so much for your time today. I'm so grateful. And your book, Red Dress, fabulous fiction read. If someone wants a fun sort of read that integrates everything and is not super heavy in the way that we usually, when I read about this stuff, it usually is. So thank, thank you. Thank you so much, Amy. It's been fabulous to be here. Just to say, frequencies, vibration is all still in red dress. So there's actually quite a lot of wisdom in there. It's not, it's not in just a light story. So no, no, it is. It is. I didn't mean that, that, that no, it was no, a light story, but it's, it's not, it doesn't have that same sort of like, when I read a lot of these books, it's like reading a science, exactly. science novel That's right. or some yeah, science absolutely. book. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed it. It's been my absolute pleasure. And thank you everybody for listening. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between. <laughs>